Welcome uh, to River Ridge. Welcome for you guys who are watching online this morning. Uh, so depending on how close you are sitting to me, you may notice that I have a bandage across my face. Um, so the reason is I'm a walking billboard for why you should be involved with summer life at River Ridge Church. Um, and so a, a bit of an explanation is, uh, so Wednesday night I was mountain biking uh, with the mountain bike group uh, here. At, we were out at Kanawha State Forest, uh, and I did a bit of a head-over-heels sort of, head-over-bike sort of thing and smashed my head on a rock. Um, but here's the great news. It was caught on video. Would you... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the group we were with, um, anyway, one of the women saw that I was like doing this, tra- Matt, Pastor Matt is trailblazing, she said, uh, and so she was videotaping me trying to get a good run, uh, but in fact, she got a good fall. So you get to see my fail. How about that, huh? So, and you get to see it three times, one full screen, one zeroed in, and one in slow motion. Let's hit it. Let me start over. Uh, I have a head wound. No, I won't start that far over. Um, uh, but one of the things that we as a church are very committed to is ministry and outreach on the west side of Charleston. And so uh, over the last probably six years, we have uh, been uh, doing homework buddies with elementary kids and pouring into uh, Mary C. Snow Elementary and the Second Avenue Center and providing meals and so forth. Um, but this year, we're adding to that uh, middle school and high school uh, with a, a place or a ministry called the Midian Leadership Center, um, and we're going to be providing volunteers to help those folks uh, as well. And so we would love, if this is kind of something that you have a heart for, we'd love for you to be involved with that. Um, and so next Sunday after both services, we're just going to have a short 15-minute informational meeting to say, here's all the different options if you would want to plug into ministry on the west side of Charleston. So um, remember that for next Sunday. Save yourself a little bit of time. Come uh, and then after this service, and then after the second service as well. Um, so that'll be next Sunday, just as a reminder for what's coming up. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you just uh, for the worship and being, en- being able to enter into communion and to remember the cross. And uh, Lord, just thank you for my time with you and just how powerful that is to remember that it is all you and not me. And God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us the things that you want us to know and to see and understand about your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as Stacy mentioned, we are starting a new series, and it's titled, 
we are the church. Now, if you pause in the right way, it's we are the church, right? So those of you who are Marshall fans, you know, we are Marshall, right? And I was thinking we could do like, we are the church. Oh, that actually kind of worked pretty well. Um, However, I felt like that was a little bit slanted towards Marshall. And so to counterbalance that, you may notice that I'm wearing a yellow shirt that says WVU. For all of those of you who are WVU fans, yeah. So, uh, and I, and I, and next week I may change the title of the message to, ready for this? Let's go to church, <laughs> right? That's some fun there. So, um, but I am excited and I could wear a green shirt next week if we change the title of it. Um, and I, and I do love University of Charleston. I was thinking we could do Wings Up Church is the kind of the but that doesn't fly with as many people. Okay. Um, so this week, we are starting a five-week sermon series on the church. And we're going to ask two major questions throughout all five of these weeks. And the two major questions that we're going to ask is this. Is the first is, what is God's design for the church? So when God initiated, when Jesus created and initiated the church, what was his design for the church, Right? And then the second question is this, is what is God's design for us as we are a part of the church that he created? And so we're going to look at that for five weeks from a couple of different angles. Now, when you think about church experiences, you know, maybe this is the only church you've ever been to. Maybe you've got a wide variety of different church experiences. Uh, But for me, like I have had a number of different church experiences, some good, some bad. So um, for those of you who know my story, I grew up uh, going in a family that was sort of a semi-going church Catholic family, right? So we went occasionally, not all the time, but that was sort of my growing up. And so I have, you know, I did my first communion in the Catholic church. And so I kind of grasped that a little bit. Uh, After I became a Christian in high school, uh, I went to a very fundamentalist church uh, with a friend of mine, like all the men wore coat and ties, and it was just very, you know, all organ music, all hymns. That's uh, the church that I went to after I first became a Christian. Uh, When I was in college, so I went to school in Connecticut, and uh, there's not a lot of churches in New England area, and so I looked and I looked to try and find a church up there and, and never really found a church and went to all kinds of different types of churches. And one, one Sunday morning, I actually stumbled into a cult meeting instead of a church. And that was sort of a wacky deal right there. Um, you know, and I even know that like when Stacy and I uh, moved from Cleveland to Morgantown, we had that ominous job or that difficult task, so to speak, which is not necessarily difficult all the time, of finding a church. And we visit different churches and try to figure out, well, we like this about this church, but not so much. We're kind of weighing what was important to us about churches. And even as you think about River Ridge, and I think, you know, what if Jesus walked into River Ridge this morning? What would he say? Would he say, well, you know, I think you should have done more songs, or maybe you should have done less songs, or I think the sermon should be a little bit longer, or the sermon should be a little bit shorter, or maybe he'd comment on the donut holes. He'd say, you know, you shouldn't have donut holes here, or really, you should go the full way and just give full donuts away, right? You know, would he comment on how people are dressed? You're too casual, you're too formal. What would he say about those things? But in fact, we may choose a church based on how casual or formal it is, or the length of the sermon, or the type of music. But I don't think that that really gets at the heart 
of what Jesus says is important and what Jesus cares about in the context as he looks at what church is about. And so when it comes to church, I think we have a lot of different questions. I mean, one of the questions that I think most people ask is, why are there so many different kinds of churches? Because there are all kinds of churches, and every church is a little bit different. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? And as we look at the differences, we may even ask the question, like, is, the, is there a right way and a wrong way to do church? Is God more pleased with certain churches and less pleased with other churches? And then if you've had conversations with church people or ex-church people, so to speak, you hear a lot about the church hurting people. And why does that happen? Is it really the church that hurts people? Or is it people that wound people who are in a church? And there's all those sorts of hurts that kind of go around. And the other part when we talk about church is you hear people say, well, do I have to go to church? Like, can I, can't I just follow Jesus and kind of do it on my own and not be a part of a church? Because I don't really like organized religion. And you hear people say that. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be uh, looking at a passage uh, where Jesus basically introduces the idea or introduces the church to the world. We're going to look at the very first time that Jesus mentions the church. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can open up to that, uh, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. And so we're going to look at this wider context of when Jesus announces the church. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now that question may sound a little bit familiar to you because uh, if you were here in March, we actually did a series called Seven Questions, and we looked at seven different questions that Jesus asked different people. And we looked at just a small portion of this passage in a parallel um, account in the Gospel of Mark. But he says, who do people say is the Son of Man? Who do people say that I am? And he does this in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And that's significant because Caesarea Philippi was this place that was kind of like the food court of gods, so to speak. In other words, you could go there and find any type of religion that you wanted to find. There was this cave that was dedicated to a deity called Pan, and Pan was the um, kind of the, the deity of the woodlands, and he was thought to be half goat and half man. There was a, a temple built to Caesar there where you could go and worship Caesar in this temple that he had built. And there were all these different things there. And so there's, um, you know, it's interesting when you, when people announce things, whether they announce a presidential candidate or the next teacher or whatever, when there's an announcement, people will often do it in a significant place. And I do wonder if Jesus did this intentionally in Caesarea Philippi because out of all these religions and options, the church or Jesus Christ, as we're going to come to find out, is the only way. And maybe that was an intentional backdrop that he chose it. I'm not quite sure, but it's an interesting thought. And he says this, verse 14. says, And they said, so he asked, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, this is the disciples, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now that question, who do you say that I am, 
That is the most important question that can ever be asked or answered in this life. Because how we respond to that question, who is Jesus, determines our eternity. It determines our destiny, our eternal destination, whether we end up in heaven or whether we end up apart from God for eternity. And so that question, who do you say I am, is incredibly important. And only you can answer that question for yourself. It's not what does the church say. It's not what does your parents say. It's not the church that you grew up in. Not what does your grandma say. What, not your husband or wife. It's who do you say that Jesus is. And how you answer that has huge implications in your life and in eternity. So Peter answers this way, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he answers, and he gets the answer correct. He says, you are the Christ, or you are the Messiah. And so we know that Jesus being the Messiah, and he didn't quite fully understand it at this point, but the Messiah, Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins. That's what the Messiah came to do. And then it says, and you are the Son of the living God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the cornerstone of of where eternity rests for us. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah who died on the cross for your sins? And do you believe he's the son of the living God? And I love that Peter included living God. And I say that, and maybe this isn't for everybody, but I just felt like a few people might need this this morning, that that sometimes we, we look at our lives and we look at our circumstances and we kind of ask the question, Where's God? Because he doesn't really seem to be moving. He doesn't seem to be kind of helping where I thought he would help. And I want this verse to be an encouragement to you, that he's the son of the living God, a God who is active in your life, a God who is with you and present with you. And you may not feel that he's active right now, and you may not know and understand, but you go down the road a little bit and you look back, and so often when we're, when we're able to look back, we say, God was living. God was active. God was doing things. I didn't know it. I didn't see it at the time. But God was doing some amazing things. And maybe that's the case in your life right now. Then Jesus responds to Peter's statement. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah just means the son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, Peter, you got it right. Well done. Good job. Golden ticket. You got it. That's the answer. He says, as a matter of fact, your answer is so good, you didn't even come up with it on your own. Your answer was revealed to you from God, not from flesh and blood. And then the next verse is where we get into the introduction of the church. Verse 18. This is still Jesus speaking. He says, And I tell you, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he has this same. He says, You are Peter, and this is on this rock. And there's some question about what does on this rock mean exactly. And there's some different options. You know, one of the options is that it's talking about setting Peter up as the first pope that would go all the way through Pope Francis today. Another option is that 
he's talking about Peter being kind of the pillar or the beginning of the church. And that makes a little bit of sense in the sense of Peter would be the first one to share the gospel uh, at Pentecost, and 3,000 people would come to faith in Christ. And Peter was the first one to share the gospel with uh, the Gentiles, with non-Jews. But where I believe that this stands, when he talks about, he says, um, let me read it to you again. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, what is the rock referring to? I believe that the rock that he's referring to is the statement that Peter just said, that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. That that is the, the foundation of faith. And then from that, the church is built from that central truth. And if, if the church is built on something other than that, it's, it's not the church. Like, if we want to build a church and not have that truth about Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, if that's not the core reason for being and existing, then the church just doesn't make sense, and we end up kind of wherever we want to go with it. And so here's the first truth, and I'm going to share four truths this morning. The first is this. Jesus created the church. Jesus created the church. Here's the implication of that. If Jesus created the church, if he instituted the church, then we don't really have an option to not be part of a church. We don't have the option to not be a part of the church because Jesus said, this is the church. I am creating the church. This is not man's idea. It was not Paul or Peter or Matthew or anybody's idea. This was Jesus' idea. He said, this is the church, and I'm beginning the church. And I share that because sometimes you will hear people say, I don't really like church. Like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And I understand that, that River Ridge Church is not perfect, and there is no such thing as a perfect church. But it's inconsistent to say, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of his church. One of the metaphors that's used that, um, in the Bible to talk about the church is it says that the church is the bride of Christ, right? And so imagine kind of my, me and, and my wife was up here um, doing the Around the Ridge a few minutes ago. But, you know, what if you said to me, you know, Matt, I love you, but I really don't like your wife, right? Like, first of all, that'd be kind of dumb. People might say it the other way. But, but, but that would be like, you know, like, I, I love you. We're going to be in great relationship, but I really don't like your wife. Like, that that doesn't work, does it? Now, you may say, Matt, I love you, but your wife, like, she cries too much, and she takes too many pictures, and, and like, when you crack your head open, she laughs instead of gives empathy. Like, you could say those things, right? Because she's not perfect, um, and, and neither am I, clearly. Um, but the thing is, we don't have the option of saying, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church, and I realize you are in church, and so I'm kind of preaching to the choir, so to speak. But you hear people say that, and maybe if you hear somebody say that, you've got a bit of a response to that. Here's the second truth, and it comes from Matthew 16, 18. It says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's that phrase, I, um, I will build my church. And here's the second thing that I want us to see, is that Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds 
the church. And so when we talk about Jesus building the church, and it's his church, and he wants it built, we're talking about kind of two things when we talk about Jesus builds the church. One is building the church in, in terms of the church growing in terms of numbers and numerically, that, that Jesus wants more and more people to come to faith in him and to be a part of his church. That's one part of building the church. But the other is building the church in depth, in, in the sense of growing spiritually, that the goal is not just, hey, let's have a lot of people become Christians and join up and come to church on Sunday. But part of that is building us as believers, that we as believers and other people who become believers grow in their love for God and in their love for people, and they grow in their depth of who they are as followers of Christ. There's one more phrase um, from verse 18 that I want to mention to you. It says, I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. And then the last phrase is, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what does that mean? That's kind of an odd phrase. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And and I want to kind of help you with maybe a visual image. Um, If you've ever seen like a TV show or a movie where cops are busting into, policemen are busting into uh, a house, and maybe they're trying to save somebody, or maybe they're being blocked out, whatever it is, but they take one of those battering rams, and you know, three, four huge muscle-bound guys, you know, take that battering ram, and they break down the door, and then they're able to enter, and whoever's in there is able to get out free. If you think about firemen and, and that kind of thing, rescuing people. And that's kind of the image that's going on here. It's the idea that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The church is going to prevail against the gates of hell. And what that means is that people are going to become Christians, that that's part of what will happen, that God's church, Jesus' church, is going to prevail. And I love the, um, the song that we've been singing recently. Uh, the title is I Thank God. Uh, it's by Maverick City. But the line that, that I keep remembering over and over, it's, Hell lost another one and I am free. I am free. I will stop singing because I'm not good at that. But, but I love that line, Hell lost another one and I am free. And that's the, the, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The church is going to prevail, and people are going to find Jesus, and people are going to find eternal life. And then what he says next, he speaks directly to Peter in verse 19. And he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what he's saying, he's saying that there is a role for you, Peter, and there's a role by extension for us who follow him in building the kingdom of God, in building specifically the church. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church, that doesn't mean that we just kind of hang out and sit in our lounge chairs and like, all right, build the church. And we do nothing. This is the invitation for us to come and to be a part of it, right? And so it says that I've given you the keys to the kingdom. What, you, what happens on earth happens in heaven bound. And he uses this phraseology, but what he's saying is that what you do on earth matters for eternity. Takes us to our third truth, is I help people find Jesus. 
that that is our role in this, that we can't save anybody, but what we do is we point people towards Jesus, that we have this role in that, and that what we do here on earth matters for eternity. I don't know if you notice this, but I love the contrast between this, between um, kind of storming the gates of hell and opening with a key, right? Because there's sort of two ways to get through a door, right? You can smash it down and release people that are in there, or you can take a key and you can put it in the hole and you can unlock it. They both do essentially the same thing. And, and it struck me that, that people meet Christ in all kinds of different ways, you know, that you may have gone to a church growing up and the pastor was like, he was a yeller and he was screaming and he was kind of banging down the, the gates of hell and, you, you know, that was sort of your church experience. Or maybe you met the Lord because somebody just gently sat across the table and with a cup of coffee and shared the gospel with you or built a friendship. And, and I share that because there's all kinds of ways that people find Christ. Sometimes Something is battered down, and sometimes it's just a gently unlocking so that somebody finds him. Then there's a verse, um, verse 20 is just an odd verse, but I want to comment on it before we uh, hit the rest of this. It says, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And you go, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, we just said, tell people about Christ, and then he says, don't tell people about me. What is up with that? And the reason is... Um, at this point, the disciples didn't quite understand what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. And for them, they were thinking that he was the Christ or a conquering Messiah. And he, his, he was there to overthrow the Roman government. And so if the disciples had gone out and said, hey, Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, they would have thought, all right, get your spear, get your sword, get your pit, pitchfork. We're taking over the Romans. They, he didn't understand, as will become clear as we look at this next verse, um, Peter didn't understand, and the disciples didn't. So he said, when you understand, you're going to share the gospel, but we're not quite ready for that in its fullness. And it says this, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is describing what his future is going to be like. He says, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they're going to arrest me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be punished by them, tortured, and then I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Peter doesn't like this. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter, as he hears this, he doesn't like what Jesus says. And, and he probably missed the end of it when he says he's going to rise from the dead. But he says he's going to suffer and he's going to die. He's like, that's not what I want. I don't want that. I want to continue to be your friend. I don't want you to suffer. We have this friendship. We don't want our friends to suffer. Peter didn't want his friend Jesus to suffer. And here's how Jesus answered. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In an instant, in a very short amount of time, Peter went from a hero, you nailed it, that's the right answer. Well done, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You got the answer right, 
to your Satan. Get behind me. I mean, talk about going from the top to the bottom. It's like, wow, what a huge change. That's a big swing. Why did Peter say this? Why did he kind of say this? And then Jesus' response. And it's the very last thing that Jesus said to Peter that I want us to understand that kind of is the key to this. He says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's why Peter got off track. That he really wanted what he wanted. He didn't want Jesus to die. He didn't want Jesus to suffer. He wanted to continue to live and to be with Jesus. That's honestly pretty understandable. But Jesus had a plan for the church. He had just announced, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's will and wish and desire will not prevail against it. In order for the church to be created, in order for God's plan to come in, Jesus had to suffer and he had to die and he would also rise again on the third day. Takes us to our fourth point. I need to get on board with Jesus' plan for the church. I need to get on board with Jesus' plan for the church. When it comes to the church... I think far too often we ask questions. Our primary question is, what do I want in a church? What can I get out of a church? Is the church meeting my needs? That's the same question, essentially, or the same attitude that Peter had. Is Jesus meeting my needs? Is Jesus doing what I want him to do in my life? And we have that same attitude oftentimes towards the church. But I think the primary question when it comes to the church is not, am I getting what I want out of this church? Is the church doing what I want it to do? Is it meeting my needs? Maybe the primary question that we should be asking is more along the lines of, how can I help the church be all that Jesus wants the church to be? How can I further God's purposes in the church? What can I do to further and to help build what Jesus has established as the church? You know, when we grasp what we talked about this morning, that Jesus created the church, that Jesus will build the church, that we have a role to play in the church, and it's about what God wants, what Jesus wants, and not about what we want. When we get on board with that, when we grasp that, that has the potential to change everything. That has the potential to change us. That has the potential to change the church. That has the potential when the church is doing the things that God wants the church to do, when we are acting and behaving as the bride of Christ, it changes our community and it changes our world. And that's really the invitation that Jesus gives to us, that he extends to us that we can be a part of this world-changing body called the church. And so next week, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk about how the church is a family, and we're going to talk about the week after that. But over these next four weeks, we're going to talk about what is the church and what are the kind of how does Jesus describe it. 
and how can we be a part of it so that we can be part of changing the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, thank you that you uh, have built the church, that you have built this church, you have built the church universal, and that we get to be a part of it. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us about what our role is in your church that you are building and what is our role in that. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for friends and this family. In Jesus' name, amen.